This is MSCI Perspectives, your source for insights for global investors and access to research and expertise from across the investment industry. I'm your host, Adam Bass, and today is February 10th, 2022. Today, we're talking about retirement, that mythical time out there in the future somewhere where we're burdened neither by deadlines or team meetings. Like me, Maybe you daydream about retirement from time to time, but how often do you think about how it's funded? Well, the U.S. Department of Labor, they spend a lot of time thinking about that part. And last fall, they released proposed changes to the rules, the regulations, about how fiduciaries of retirement plans can consider environmental, social, and governance factors for the investments on their plan menus. Specifically, they're allowing it, which is a 180-degree turn from the previous DOL guidance. It's, it's a big deal. And on today's show, we'll hear from three experts. Our first is... Stacey Tavrov. I head investment strategy for the Retirement Solutions team at BlackRock. My responsibility and my team's responsibility is to work really closely with our life cycle research team that's responsible for managing our $400 billion uh, target date franchise here at BlackRock called LifePath. Life cycle or target date funds, they're, they're an important part of many retirement plans in the U.S. This is mostly because plan participants don't have to think too much about them. Generally, All you do is select the target date fund whose name has a year close to the year you expect to retire. Then, the mix of investments in that fund, well, it changes automatically. It moves toward traditionally less risky assets as that year gets closer. But back to Stacey. So I think um, this is an incredibly important topic within the the defined contribution space because we do know that uh, kind of the regulatory environment is is an important driver for how plan sponsors can uh, evaluate different investment options for for their lineups. We're generally incredibly excited to see the direction that the Department of Labor is is moving in specifically. Uh, recognizing that uh, sustainable investment can be a, an important part of understanding the financial risk that participants and beneficiaries may face, and that there is not a specific connection of sacrificing investment return when we're thinking about investing sustainably. So, Overall, uh, you know, we thought that we feel that the DOL made several significant and important changes to prior rules that actually reflected some of the recommendations that we put forward back in, in, in 2020. So the first is the removal of the definition of pecuniary or actually the removal of pecuniary altogether. Let's put a pin in pecuniary. It's going to come up a few more times. At the end of the uh, prior administration, they had proposed a rule that would have gone into effect um, in the beginning of 2021 um, that basically would have made it very difficult to consider ESG. That's Chris Walker. Chris runs the Sustainable Retirement Initiative at the Intentional Endowments Network, or IEN. And that prior administration he's referring to, of course, is the Trump administration, which issued its own guidance back in 2020. 
this new proposed rule, what it has done is completely turn the table and say and say basically that ESG is a proper consideration um, for plan sponsors. And I would suggest perhaps now the onus will be more on why aren't you considering ESG? You know, you still have the duties of prudence and loyalty. But a part of that is to consider what are factors that will have a long-term implication on the fund. And then the other item that I think is really um, crucial is that for um, default funds or QDIAs, um, you can now consider ESG as part of um, the consideration, which was uh, strictly prohibited under the uh, prior proposed rule. And why is that so significant? Can you go into that a little bit? Well, uh, well, the QDIA is the, the basically the default option, meaning it's the um, option that if uh, an individual hasn't chosen where uh, they would want to have their 401k or 403b uh, monies going into, it's the option that uh, is um, where the, the plan sponsor puts the money in on their behalf. And this could be uh, not only, you know, whatever amount that automatically would go in, but it could be also any matching funds, et cetera. And so it's, it's absolutely uh, crucial because it's generally the largest investment vehicle within the plan uh, universe of funds. The new guidance basically ensures that the same criteria uh, or the same selection process can be applied when evaluating ESG investment options or sustainability integrated investment options uh, to both the QDIA as well as the investment menu. So it, in effect, creates an even playing field between the QDIA and the rest of the investment menu. I think that the implications go well beyond the, um, you know, the headlines here. That's Hello, my name is Simone Ruizvergote. I work with MSCI ESG Research and I'm responsible for ESG policy and uh, stakeholder engagement. And as such, I follow regulatory developments around the world when it comes to ESG and disclosure. Just looking at the fact that in the um, previous um, context, ESG factors were stated to not be pecuniary, which actually led to the fact that they couldn't be considered um, and that definitely had an impact. Yeah. So I think when you uh, looked at how prohibiting this was for um, pension funds to actually look at ESG as a potential material factor, this was really where it ended. And there is a growing body of evidence and research um, supporting the suitability of ESG integration in the investment process as a financial or pecuniary factor. And MSCI has done some study that shows that um, worldwide the ESG focused constituents of our Acqui index have not just seen higher returns, um, but also stronger earnings, growth, and dividends. And um, the study looks at May 2013 to November 2020, so quite a long seven years period. And the companies with the top tier ESG ratings had a return of 1.3% over the entire universe. And while the bottom tier ESG ratings constituents significantly lagged in the earnings growth. And I think this just shows that you you can see this not just from a limiting your downside risk perspective, but also from um, benefiting from the upside potential of these investments. Okay, so the DOL is now saying, one, ESG can be considered as a factor in retirement plans, and two, 
default retirement investments in the plans do not have separate requirements from the other plans in the menu. Okay, got it. Well, didn't I just say a few seconds ago that the Biden administration's 2021 proposed rule contradicts the Trump administration's from 2020? Ugh, talk about whiplash. Are, are these rules just arbitrary? I asked Stacy about that. There has been, obviously, a huge swing from what was put forward in terms of ESG a few years ago and what came out last year. Where do you stand in terms of a fear, let's say, that this could just continue to go back and forth as we go between um, different administrations? Yeah, I think that's a really great point and one that we certainly hear from from many of our clients. You know, it certainly has seemed that sustainability has taken on a political lens. And so over the last few administrations, it's not just the, the Trump administration versus the Biden administration, but over the last few administrations going back to um, you know, Clinton and, 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 and Bush, we have seen this sort of pendulum swinging back and forth in terms of the types of uh, guidance that we see from the administration or, or the types of rules, rulemaking that we see from, from uh, each administration's Department of Labor uh, related to retirement plans considering sustainable solutions. Our goal and our, our, our hope is that by providing more data around how investment strategies perform that have a, an ESG objective or that are ESG integrated, by providing the, the department more, more data in support of that investment argument and that investment rationale, we think is, is really important in helping stem that back and forth or, or kind of flip-flopping that we, we've seen administration to administration. Really what we, what we know to be true from, from the plan sponsor community is stability is important, right? We, we want that that's the stability uh, and consistency of guidance from, from the department to ensure that plans can make these really important uh, investment selections and, and not be worried that they would have to do a lot of work uh, that can very quickly be overturned or erased if there's a new set of uh, guidelines and, and guidance coming in from the admi- a new administration. And that's important because this process changing a retirement plan, that's, that's not a quick process, right? That's exactly right. Um, the, the, the process to uh, add an investment menu option or, or replace an investment option, uh, let alone a, a QDIA or, or a default investment menu option, can take many, many quarters. So that's why our uh, kind of comments back to the Department of Labor in this most recent turn really focus on providing as much clarity to plan sponsors around uh, considering sustainable uh, or integrating uh, ESG factors or considering sustainable investment options such that we can hopefully minimize the back and forth that we've seen in years past. Let's talk about years past and why ESG and retirement funds may have become such a political football. Chris, for one, has been working in the sustainability and retirement plan space for a long time. 
where I started my career was with uh, the uh, global reinsurance company, Swiss Re. And at Swiss Re, it was great in the sense that I, I worked on climate and we had experts um, throughout the house that uh, we had three climatologists on staff, for instance. And so there was never a question around the science. The average um, employee, uh, you know, really embraced the, um, the commitments that the company was making on sustainability and climate. And you would think that there would be interest to make sure that the retirement plan was somehow aligned with uh, the institution's uh, investment policies, sustainability strategy, et cetera. Spoiler alert, that was not the case. One of my next stops in my career was at Ernst & Young. And while at EY, there was a statistic that showed that the young employees were joining, um, young accountants were joining uh, EY because of uh, the um, building a better working world, which was our uh, positioning in the marketplace. And the idea was to, that it was around values, particularly around governance. And so I had asked the question about, well, why don't we have a 401k that would reflect that? And uh, I was told, no, we couldn't do that because fiduciary duty wouldn't allow us to have anything that was kind of thematic um, uh, around uh, kind of an ESG issue. And that, that just struck me as very strange, again, because of knowing how these young accountants were poten potentially voting with their feet as to which firm they wanted to work for because of values. Chris eventually got a job with New York University or NYU. Stick with me here. I promise this is more than a tour through Chris's resume. I had uh, taken on a project at NYU when I signed up uh, my first day to the uh, uh, 403B plan. I asked explicitly, you know, I would like to have some type of ESG options in my plan. And uh, I was amazed about how difficult it was to identify any type of ESG options in the plan. And to be clear, you were actually working within something called the Sustainability Institute at NYU. Is that right? Absolutely. So I was motivated. When we talk about pension plans and retirement accounts, especially at a university, how much money are we really talking about? I mean, how does it compare to, say, a university's endowment, which, which is where much of the focus tends to go when we talk about universities and investments? People think of endowments, they think of, you know, the big Ivy League universities that have, you know, huge endowments. But the average uh, university, their retirement plan completely dwarfs the amount of money that they have in their endowments. And there's something like uh, six or seven fold for some of the universities that we've talked to, um, the size difference between the retirement plans and the endowments. Okay, a lot of money. But why this pattern? Why was it that even if an institution was founded on the ideas of ESG and sustainability, was it unable to reflect that commitment in the single largest pool of investment money under its control? On a global basis, there was a kind of a misunderstanding of whether fiduciary duty allowed plan sponsors to consider ESG. Um, the thinking was is that some of the ESG plan, um, options were potentially uh, too new or didn't necessarily meet the right criteria, and or um, was imposing a, perhaps a values basis where their investment performance was really the only potential determining factor. But how do you overcome that considerations of fiduciary duty? There had been a lot of concerns around performance and that 
whether by considering ESG, you were somehow um, considering, say, LESA, the idea being, you know, just uh, that ESG somehow meant a lesser uh, quality or a lesser um, issue. The whole debate came from the fact that there was a concern that pension fund trustees would be distracted from their core mandate um, and maybe um, go to the point that they are not respecting their, their fiduciary mandate to the point um, and sacrifice return, maybe um, sacrifice um, um, also on the on the um, risk side, so going into higher risk assets. And I think all of that is to say that it is, from our research at least, not supported, this concern. And indeed, there is not just a need to limit your um, financial risk, especially over the time horizons we're talking here, but also to allow um, for the opportunities to to benefit your pension beneficiaries. On the performance side, what we have seen is that especially the G, so the governance aspect, um, very easily can be translated into financial metrics and performance. Um, we, we usually see that con companies that perform well on this governance aspect also in the short term perform better. And on the environmental and the social side is also can span a bit of a longer time uh, horizon, but uh, especially on the E side, we see that there is a, a greater data availability now, so you can actually quantify it um, and you can measure and what you can measure, you can manage. So you have a better understanding of this. We are seeing more of a differentiation between thinking about sustainability purely from that values-based perspective and really thinking about sustainability from an investment value perspective. Um, you know, how these material sustainability-related insights can help drive better risk-adjusted returns and, and, and um, ensure that we, we can future-proof our investment strategies from how markets will evolve in the future, how climate risk will be priced into the markets. Uh, that's really the focus that we we have when we're talking about sustainability with with plan sponsors. Um, absolutely, there is a natural alignment between participants and, and different missions and their values with these types of investment strategies. But we want to put investment value at the center of how we position sustainability and how we how we demonstrate the the investment returns that we can generate. Our plan sponsors, our participants receptive to that idea or? Yeah, so it's been really interesting to see, right? I think historically, we've seen that demand within this space has largely come from some of the largest institutional investors. That's a, a pretty natural segment of the, of the retirement space to focus on this. But looking beyond defined contribution, um, certainly endowments, foundations, pension, you know, defined benefit pension plans, insurance companies, uh, those client segments have historically uh, adopted ESG strategies at a much faster rate. Um, but now we're seeing retail investors increasingly allocate to sustainable investments. Last year, for example, um, you know, we've seen asset growth in sustainable mutual funds uh, and sustainable ETFs, you know, jumping kind of 22 percent uh, in 2020 uh, for sustainable mutual funds. Uh, ETFs, AUM, jumped 78 uh, percent for sustainable ETFs. And so 
these are are pretty significant growth uh, figures for a, a, sec- a segment that's dominated by retail investors. And so we now believe that this demand is resonating within the defined contribution participant base as well. Um, you know, we conduct an annual survey of plan sponsors and plan participants uh, in the U.S., and we found that nine in 10 plan sponsors who currently do not offer ESG strategies are considering to do so in the next 12 to 24 months. And furthermore, we see that about 73% of participants believe that it is important to have an ESG investment option uh, up from 62% in 2019. Um, So again, there is a a, a shift in uh, plan participant behavior as well. Chris put this another way. So uh, I'll start off with a caveat here is that although I'm a lawyer by background, I'm not an ERISA lawyer, but that is my um, feeling as to just a practical interpretation about how ultimately this will um, uh, evolve. Um, It will evolve into, um, if you're not considering ESG, almost as to why aren't you considering ESG, particularly because it matters for returns, it matters for um, risk, and it matters for best performance. What constitutes fiduciary duty? Well, how much time do you have? Now, I don't mean that rhetorically. I mean that literally. What kind of investment horizon are fiduciaries looking at? A few years ago, when this whole climate uh, rally and awareness started really in the financial sector, Mark Carney, who was back then the governor of the Bank of England, he spoke about this tragedy of the horizons, whereby um, it was clear that climate change was a topic affecting everybody. And as a universal investor, you can't divest from it. You're basically exposed to it. Um, no matter what, um, how diversified your portfolio is. And he said, well, if if we had a bit of a longer time horizon in our investment philosophy, this would be something we, we would definitely integrate. Um, and if you look at the pension fund mandates and the, the time horizon those span, um, it's clear that there is a match between their exposure and their clients' exposure um, to these topics of climate change. Remember QDIAs back from the beginning? those default retirement investments? Well, a lot of those, a lot, are life cycle or target date funds. And this makes sense in a defined contribution landscape because, as I mentioned earlier, it's easy for participants. It's a way to scale from traditionally riskier to traditionally less risky investments as participants approach retirement. That's where the majority of new dollars are are going. Uh, the majority of plan participants tend to stay once they are defaulted into those uh, target date funds. And we've seen really strong results, right? we We do recognize that um, you know for individuals, having their dollars go into a uh, you know professionally managed multi-asset, a portfolio that de-risks over time as they approach, uh, as an individual approaches retirement, has yielded strong uh, investment outcomes and savings outcomes for plan participants. And so, as a result, we do believe that that ESG and and the integration of sustainability uh, sustainability related insights 
has a role within a QDIA uh, or within the, a default investment option like the target date fund. The reason for that is, you know, one, we believe that over the long term, material sustainability risks uh, and opportunities can help generate better risk-adjusted re- returns for, for investors. And when we think about the long investment time horizon that individual saving for retirement have, that really clearly aligns with the long investment horizon uh, that sustainability risks often play themselves out during. So there's a kind of a natural alignment of, of that time horizon component that we're talking about here. So as a result, many target date funds today may already be considering material ESG insights. But I think that now that the Department of Labor has allowed for, uh, or at least again, removed this specific rule pertaining to QDIA, and and we have the same fiduciary standard applying to QDIA as well as the rest of the investment menu, I believe we, we may see more target date strategies coming to the market that have specific ESG objectives. From our interaction with with clients in the U.S., pension fund clients, we see that the larger ones have already started to pick up on that topic. Um, that is, they they see this as an emerging trend, as an emerging risk, also as an emerging opportunity. And then there are these initiatives that push more um, for for net zero alignment of corporations. Um, a large part of the financial industry has signed up to this as well. Um, and that might not be so much the driver in the U.S. on the pension fund side, but clearly there is overall a stakeholder interest in this. It's probably apocryphal, but Winston Churchill allegedly said, you can always count on Americans to do the right thing after they've tried everything else. So how's America doing on this topic compared to Europe? I think they are on a good path. <laughs> so I would really not not dismiss the efforts that are currently being undertaken. Um, I think there is a lot of effort to undo um, some of the actions of the previous administration and a clear focus on climate in the U.S. right now. And that's something I suppose that the entire financial sector needs to to reckon with. And um, the difference, I think, is probably one from an approach that would say you are invited to look at this. So it's like an opt-in to um, you are supposed to look at this. And if you um, cannot or it's too burdensome or if there is no point for you, then you can opt out. And this is a very different, fundamentally different approach. So what I see in, in Europe, it's it's really also starting now um, in Europe, but the legislation has been put in place. The pension funds know that they will have to look at this in the coming years. Um, so there is much more of a stronger pull towards ESG integration and in pension funds right now. Um, while I see the door really opening in the US. Um, and if you look at this um the next step a bit more in detail in the EU, um, the entire financial market participants, not just the pension funds, will need to disclose something that's called principal adverse sustainability impact. And that is, in fact, something that you declare as a financial sector participant that your company considers the principal adverse impacts sustainability impacts of investment decisions. So the, the the big trend here is, again, that there is a need for pension funds to look at this. And the other imp- interesting aspect is that this actually goes beyond financial materiality. And so I think this is interesting because it has this double materiality approach where you not just look at what is 
uh, a financially relevant factor, but also what's the impact on um, sustainability related factors. So this is going well beyond the US approach. I think that the 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 US is a, a few years behind uh, Europe in terms of ESG adoption and, and, and ESG integration. There's actually a lot of lessons that you know we've been able to learn from our colleagues in in, in Europe and, and the UK uh, and, and apply them to to other markets. More and more defined contribution plans uh, in Europe now need to report on their ESG integration status. Two, we're seeing more and more DC plans adopt net zero commitments and so are now really challenging uh, investment managers to come up with uh, appropriate retirement solutions that have net zero objectives. And one of the things that we are actively working on right now for for our life path uh, portfolios is, is really thinking about, okay, how do we uh, address a, a net zero commitment within a target date strategy? Um, not only just thinking about the underlying building blocks that we invest in, but also more broadly, uh, how we think about glide path construction and uh, strategic asset allocation by incorporating you know, climate aware capital market assumptions, for example. So a lot of, uh, I think, really innovative and interesting work that our team is is doing in, in Europe that, again, as I mentioned at the start, we're learning those lessons every day, watching and observing here in the U.S. And so uh, hopefully that uh, as the, the, the U.S. market evolves, um, we're going to be ready to, to address those needs uh, for, for U.S. plan participants as well. But getting back to the proposed DOL changes. Even in anticipation of the the new rule, uh, we're seeing a lot of activity from the D.C. space. We're already seeing a ton of activity from our plan sponsor clients uh, to, one, uh, educate themselves and better understand their, the, the space and how it's evolved. To understand uh, kind of what they own today and, and what uh, sustainability risks may be uh, highlighted within their current investment lineup and how to address those. And, and three, uh, looking at the product landscape. So thinking about uh, ways to, to integrate sustainability within the plan, whether through adding new investment options, uh, replacing existing options, or considering ESG integration uh, as part of the due diligence process. So the rule uh, or, or the comment period closed in mid-December. Um, right now, the, the Department of Labor is evaluating all of the different comments that they received. Generally speaking, uh, there was pretty clear consistency and support for the, uh, the, the updated rule. And we anticipate sometime later on this year, but hopefully within the first half of the year, we will see an updated and final rule from the Department of Labor. After so many years pushing for ESG options in retirement accounts, I had to ask Chris how he was feeling. Was he optimistic at this moment? I try not to give you too much of a complex answer here, but um, I'm quite optimistic. Um, if I think about, and just to pick climate as as an issue, um, you know, we need to move much faster as, uh, you know, a country um, and uh, as a planet, in essence, to um, address climate. And uh, 
part of that is going to be having money move into the right uh, vehicles in the sense that will not potentially exasperate the problem, but potentially be part of the solutions. And um, retirement plans are huge. Um, you know, uh, I think uh, ERISA plans are close to $10 trillion um, in the U.S. And um, the 403B side of it is about a trillion dollars. So I think only about 3% of all funds um, right now, uh, ERISA funds are actually um, have some type of ESG component. And you imagine if that number is 10 or 20 or 30, it starts directionally sending messages both to the companies where, who, where um, ultimately the investment dollars are flowing, but it also um, helps uh, individuals feeling like feel that they're contributing um, to the solutions and not um, exasperating the problems. As we ended our conversation with Chris and his feeling of optimism about where the U.S. retirement space appears to be headed, it reminded me of how often that term is used by our own ESG research team. People like Linda Elling Lee or Megan Eastman when they provided updates on COP26. These are people who spend their days digging into the details of how investors, companies, and literally the world is reacting to these environmental, social, and governance issues. You'd think, or I would anyway, that people armed with the facts that they would actually tend more toward pessimism. Maybe the fact that so many don't give in to the dark side should bring some light to the rest of us. That's all for this week. A big thank you from Joe and me to Stacy, Chris, and Simone, and to all of you for listening. We'll be back with a new episode and fresh insights in two weeks. Until then, I'm your host, Adam Bass, and this is MSEI Perspectives. Stay safe, everyone.